So, uh, title for today's sermon is, uh, You're Doing It Wrong. <laughs> Actually, um, you'll find out where that phrase comes from uh, just a little bit. But um, I'm wondering if you've ever heard statements like the following, either from your own mind or from those around you. Uh, number one, the Bible is just a book full of rules. Ever heard that before? If I became a Christian, I wouldn't have any fun anymore. That was in my head. <laughs> I don't know about yours. And I've heard that plenty of times since. Jesus wants to restrict my life, but I want to be free. There is no way I could ever meet God's standards, so why try? Well, wait. Next slide. There is no way I could ever meet God's standards, so why try? Next one. The world is totally messed up, and we will never reach utopia, but I hope to live a decent life and find happiness. This is my favorite of the whole list, because it's an example of like dichotomous thinking that we all carry around. It's like believing a and believing not A, all at the same time in one brain. The world is totally messed up, and we will never reach utopia, but I hope to live a decent life and find happiness. That right there is worth the price of admission, I'm telling you. All right. Last one. Ever since I became a Christian, sinning isn't as enjoyable as it used to be. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay. So I want to start off by saying that uh, God is a loving God. That's what we believe. The amazing thing is, through history, with you know tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and tidal waves and sickness and disease and you know wars and pestilence, you would think most people would think. God is not loving. Okay? It's a miracle that Christians believe God is a loving God. We know this to be true. Something went terribly wrong in the universe, but we start with God is a loving God. He wants good for us. And that's why he says, I want you to do it this way. This is how I want you to live your life. Trust me on this, God says. He's even provided a manual, an instruction booklet, for how to do that. It's called the Bible. But often, we think we've got a better way. Like, we see the gold ring in the distance, we know what we want, it's a good thing, but we know how to get there better than anybody else. And so I wanted to show you this clip from this movie came out from before most of you were born. It's Mr. Mom. Michael Keaton plays a Detroit engineer who has lost his job. And so his wife takes the job in an advertising agency, and he's stuck being Mr. Mom, which back when this came out in the 80s was like radical. All right? Let's go ahead and run it and turn it up real loud, Dave. Time. But Dad, you're doing it wrong. Mommy doesn't 
going to do it like this. We're going to do it the Jack Butler method. What is this? This is nuts. <laughs> So, um, so all Jack wanted to do was to drop his kids off safely at school during a rainstorm. Really good goal. Good intentions. He had a legitimate need. He just tried to meet that legitimate need illegitimately. He was doing it wrong. The engine in your car has a legitimate need for engine coolant and for oil. If you read the instruction manual that comes with your car, you'll find that out. I watched a video this week where guys put vegetable oil in for regular motor oil and then uh, put Dr. Pepper soda pop in for the engine coolant and then ran the car as long as it would run to see what would happen. It didn't turn out so well. It went for a while. Surprisingly, it went for a while. But then it, everything went every which way, but good, right? <laughs> so there are things that we all feel we need. There are good things that we feel we need. God's Word for example, says how to get clothes when you need clothes is to go to work to earn money so you can buy the clothes you need. It would be doing it wrong if you were in a clothing store and you decided to take something off the rack, stuff it up under your coat, and shoplift it even though clothing is what you need legitimately, you're going about it illegitimately. The same is true if you're hungry and you go to the grocery store and you hide the steaks you know, under your babies in the bassinet thingy, the car seat. I hope I'm not giving anybody ideas here. But it's doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong when we seek intimacy in ways that uh, God hasn't ordained. God has provided family. God provided friendships, marriage, church fellowship to meet that need. Pornography is a pathetic attempt at intimacy. It's pathetic. It's so sad. 
when the person has to go to a virtual, unreal situation to find connection. See, in the deepest sense, everybody who is surfing the internet is looking for God. Everybody who is surfing the internet for porn is looking for an intimate relationship with God and with others and going about it in totally the wrong way that becomes destructive. One night stands are an illegitimate way to fill a legitimate need for closeness to somebody. And the truth is, none of this ends up satisfying you in the long run anyway. You feel worse when you're done looking at porn. You feel stupid, maybe ashamed, after a one-night stand. You just do, because it doesn't satisfy. You attempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. The Lord has created us for adventure, for excitement. He wants us to have a life where we're taking risks for Him. And I'm sure you can think of all sorts of ways where you could get your adrenaline pumping that would be the wrong way to go. I'm sure you could. I don't even have to list them. Exciting things which would destroy you or destroy others in the end as opposed to doing some good in the world. You know, we can't be naive about uh, human depravity. Wars, conflict, crime, there's moral decline. These are all like unavoidable evidence that something is strangely wrong with the human race. We may think that we're basically good, especially in comparison to other people, but we're all too ready to acknowledge there's something wrong with everybody else. But still, we don't admit that life is futile. We don't say that we're in the dark, we're cut off from God. We don't say that we're ignorant. We don't say that we're hard-hearted. We don't say that we're given over to these uh, base passions, this uncontrolled sensuality and desire. We don't want to admit to ourselves that we're doing it wrong. We have no idea at the same time how to stop being idiots and become the wise people we really want to be. So Jesus is inviting us to recognize that we're a depraved and a sinful human race. To admit our plight, but also at the same time to take his hand to receive and respond to the invitation to have the best life possible with him. To receive wonder. Of his love. We're going to go to Ephesians 4 17 through 24 today. Dave went over it a couple weeks ago. We're going to revisit that. We're going to be doing this the rest of the book of the Ephesians, revisiting every passage twice. Paul's talking to Christians now. Okay, remember, Paul was talking to Christians who are trying to mix their old way of life with the new life they have in Christ, and it ain't working because they're doing it wrong. So, let's read it once through, and then I'm going to go back and start at the top again. 
So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Americans do. You may think that's a typo. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's go back to the slide before. We're going to start at the top. Verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Americans do in the futility of their thinking. Now, you may think that's not in the original, and I guess technically it's not. It says Gentiles, but this works. It works. Because Paul was talking to the Ephesians and about the people who live around them in Ephesus And it's the same thing as you here in Denver and living around this city full of Denverites or in this country called America. This passage is about a rejection of the Gentile way of life. And I'm telling you, it's a rejection of the American way of life. I mean, tie me up for being an American... But there's no flag in this sanctuary. And I don't think there ever will be. Because we are a new people. We've got a new citizenship. We've got a king. Not president. Only. And so the apostle is imploring the Ephesians to abandon all their previous practices. He's imploring us to abandon all our previous American practices that find themselves in opposition to the gospel. And he says this because the Ephesians and he are both in the Lord. In the Lord. They're in Jesus. We're this like third race. I mean, in other letters, Paul was telling Hebrew Christians to let go of the grave clothes of Judaism. Stop holding on to that stuff. To the Gentiles, he's saying, I want you to let go of your old way of life. Don't go back to your old self-indulgent habits once you've come to Christ. He says there's a problem in your mind that the battle is waged between your ears. And he's not really going to list a bunch of specific sins here. Because sin is the result of a wrong way of thinking about the new life in Christ. He's concerned with a distortion in your mind, with a disorientation about how your thought processes go. He said that's futile. It's, there's futility in thinking. It's the same word that pops up in Ecclesiastes. Futile, futile. Everything is futile. There's nothing that's worth anything. 
It expresses the meaninglessness of life. Go on to verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This word hardening, I think, is really interesting. How many people here play guitar? Just kind of raise your hand if you've ever played guitar. Okay? All right. How many people here have worked outside with tools, you know? Maybe, okay, so you guys know what calluses are then, right? If you have a shovel and you go out into your backyard or go to work and you're using that shovel the first day, if you don't have gloves on, what happens? Your hands get all raw and it hurts. But if you keep going to work every day, every day, every day, pretty soon you develop calluses on your hands. Your hands toughen up. Same with guitar players. On your one hand, there's calluses on your fingertips. People could take a thumbtack and stick it in the end of your finger. You wouldn't feel it because the dead skin is so thick. It's become calloused. It's become hard. What Paul is saying is, this is what sin is doing to your heart. It's making your heart calloused. You don't feel anymore. You've slept with so many women, it doesn't matter to you. Any kind of spiritual connection. Your heart is calloused. You can't feel it. You get less feeling from having sex with somebody than a young boy would feel about a kiss. There's a refusal in verse 18 for the Gentiles, for the Americans, to know what they know. They're is a darkness that is descending on their understanding. They reject God. And as they reject God, they become hard of heart. And then it's just this big cycle. It gets worse and worse and worse. They're intellectually blacked out. They're separated from the life that God gives. It's amazing. I've I've talked to people. I mean, I've had debates about intelligent design in the creation of the universe versus random chance evolution. And honestly, I can understand their arguments perfectly. They can't understand mine. They don't understand that time for them has become some kind of God. Just give anything enough time, it'll happen. I'm going, don't you see his blind faith in time? And chance, they don't get it. Their minds are darkened. If you look at my Facebook page, you'll see a whole list of wonderful scientists, Christian scientists who have made a difference in the world and what they said about the faith. I put that up there because I was doing research for this sermon. And it came to mind. I'm not going to stay there. You can go and read it on my Facebook page if you want. There's a deliberate wolf or ignorance which has taken up residence in people's souls. There's a hardness of heart which has prevented all kinds of loyalty to God. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. If you stop being sensitive to God and what He wants you become insensitive to that, 
What's going to happen is you're going to seek out sensuality. You're going to seek out thrills. You're going to seek out stuff that makes you feel alive because you're dead to the Spirit of God on the other side. I mean, you guys ever gone to a restaurant and they, they burn the french fries? Okay, I kind of hate that. I hate it. So I'm at a f- restaurant and they bring me a plate of burned french fries. They're dark brown. And the uh, server says, well, I'm sorry, the cook burned the french fries, but I brought you extra. That's kind of how it feels with this verse. It's like, I am going to do everything I can to consume that which is distasteful to me, but it's okay because i got more. It's like drinking ocean water when you're thirsty. People's consciences are so callous they don't feel any stab of pain or remorse. Now, a lot of this is physical. A lot of this is sensual. I mean, obviously, your head goes to the sexual in this, and it would be appropriate to go there in terms of the way Paul normally writes, but it's not just sexual. It's all the senses. And all this is pursued in greediness, uh, continual lust for more. You never get enough. Sensuality is an idol, and that idol demands sacrifice. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know that that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. Literally, verse 20 reads, you did not learn the Christ this way. You did not learn the Christ this way. Paul was pointing to Jesus, saying, Jesus is the source of all truth. That when you find truth, you find Jesus. When you find Jesus, you find truth. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 21. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. I'm sorry, say 20, 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, there's a metaphor here of taking off and putting on. Taking off old clothes, putting on new clothes. Pretty common in Scripture. Pretty common, actually, in uh, ancient Greek. This may be an allusion to the baptismal robes that people wore. They put on all white when they got baptized back in Ephesus in those days. And the weird thing about this is, I think, in the Greek, is that verse 21, 22, and following are are in the present tense. And um, what that means in the Greek is it's, it's a continuous present action. It's not stopping. It keeps going. You don't stay where you are. Ever see in those yearbooks? Do you guys have yearbooks? Right? How many people have a yearbook where somebody wrote in it? Don't ever change. All right? That's stupid. I mean, who wants to stay, you know, like they're 17 or 18 the rest of their life? That's dumb. 
And we don't, we don't stay there, right? We do change. And we know that things don't stay the same. In this life, if you're not getting better, then you're getting worse. Every musician knows this. Just stop playing for a while. What happens? You'll lose it. It's called arm rusty. Well, sometimes you not just rusty, you suck. All right? I used to be able to sight read treble clef and bass clef. I can't do that anymore. I'm sitting there at a staff going, every good boy does fine. Grandmother bakes donuts Friday afternoon. Whatever. Trying to remember where the notes are on a scale. You don't stay where you are. When a tree stops growing, that's the year it stops dying. It starts dying. There is no plateau. There is no sin that doesn't get worse. You'll need more of any drug to get just as high as you did the last time. You'll need more of a risk to get the same amount of a thrill that you got before. You'll need kinkier and you'll need weirder porn or sexual encounters to satisfy your increasing evil desires. That's what happens when you're doing it wrong. It doesn't stay the same. It continues to get worse. But there's verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is a contrasting statement. It's positive. Paul is saying that it happens the other way when you're with Jesus. It gets better and better. While there's progressive deterioration on the one side with your sinful nature, with your Christ-like nature, you get better and better. You're renewed in your minds. Literally in the spirit of your minds. Something about your spirit is taking over the rest of your body. You make progress. The Apostle Paul is concerned about the human spirit. That's the controlling, kind of the motherboard of our existence. It's the means of our relationship with God. And that will be continually renewed when you're in Jesus. And then last verse, 24, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, the continual renewing of the mind. One of the greatest theologians in Christian history is St. Augustine, or Augustine if you're Catholic, who was saved out of a really immoral and debauched lifestyle. Before his conversion, he had a concubine. I think from age 16 or 17, he had a concubine, which is another word for a mistress. They were together for many years. They had a son. It said that his concubine converted to Christianity and eventually stopped the relationship with Augustine because she didn't want to go that way anymore. Something in her was being changed. Her mind was being renewed. Didn't deter Augustine, though. He just went on and had a few more mistresses. But then he came to Christ. And the story goes, shortly after his conversion, 
one of his mistresses saw him on the street of the city. Augustine! Augustine! she cries out, calling after her old lover. Augustine paid no heed. Augustine! she cried out. Augustine! It's Claudia! But it is no longer Augustine, Augustine replied. And he continued on his way. That's what Ephesians 4.24 means. So, basically, uh, this passage is about depravity. Next slide. Great quote. Anyone who believes in total depravity can't be all bad. Some Presbyterian guy said that. I know it was some Presbyterian guy because John Ortberg said a Presbyterian friend of his told him that. But he didn't give a source. This is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. There's hope for the person who knows how messed up he or she is. This is about a pervasive depravity that kind of affects everything in our being and results in our life getting skewered in so many different ways with thinking that ignores God. We're doing it wrong, folks. We are filling legitimate desires illegitimately. We are filling legitimate desires illegitimately and then we're just not paying attention Our minds are given over to sports, to movies, to sitcoms, anything we can do to avoid thought. Comic books, it doesn't matter. Our self-centeredness is alienating us from God. We don't acknowledge our need for God. We don't have time for Him. And if we think about Him at all, our thoughts are just in passing because it makes us uncomfortable. So we're restless. We're restless. We're always moving, avoiding. You know, got to be careful if you're an atheist about what you read. You know, there's books everywhere. There's authors. There's scientists who might point you in the direction you don't want to go in. You're always restless. And our hearts are ever restless until they find their rest in God. So said St. Augustine. This is one of the reasons story time at Scum of the Earth is so powerful. If you do not, if you didn't come last week, if you didn't hear story time, I really encourage you, go to the podcast, listen. Listen, not just last week, listen to all the story times that are on there from 18 years. People talk about their old ways of thinking, their old ways of, of speaking. They talk about their old ways of acting and how God has given them new life in Jesus. In short, every story time, people are confessing, saying, this is how I was doing it wrong. And then, this is how Jesus is helping me to do it right. And the feeling in comparison, they can barely describe. There's no resurrection without crucifixion. 
Sometimes I think maybe instead of talking about all of our victories in Christ, you know, maybe we should judge people on their failures. How many times they admittedly died to themselves. I think that might be a better rubric for telling maturity of people. People who can say, let me tell you how messed up I am. I can relate to that. I can't relate to every day with Jesus is better than the day before. I cannot relate to that. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. Death. Dying to self is necessary for Christian living. Here's a question that plagued me this week while I was preparing the sermon. I even texted uh, Fran and Craig Blomberg, the doctors Blomberg, about it. If I really knew how good God is and how much He loves me, would I still sin? If I really knew how good God is and how much He loves me, would I still sin? And the answer came back, well, yeah, but probably a lot less. You might say that, well, making bad decisions is part of my identity. It's what I do. You know, there's an idea of us protecting our sins. But those impurities are not what we really want. I mean, maybe the kernel of what we want in that sin is good. Maybe it's a legitimate desire that we're just going about filling illegitimately. Our desires are good. Our thinking is wrong. The method is destructive. And there are some desires that are not good and that shouldn't be fulfilled. I mean, there are illegitimate desires. I mean, God is continually cleansing. He is bringing us continually in that present tense kind of Greek aorist tense. He's making us newer and newer and newer and newer and gooder and gooder and more righteous and more righteous. And our desires will change as He does that. That's why once you choose to follow Jesus and He enters your heart, you become pathetic at sinning. Really. Backslidden Christians are the most pathetic sinners I've ever met in my life. They want to enjoy it, but they can't. At least they can't enjoy it nearly as fully as they used to before they were Christians. They're really sad, really, in a lot of ways. This behavior doesn't satisfy like it used to. Becoming a Christian wrecks the pleasure of sinning. Thank you, Jesus, very much. When that happens and we find ourselves having fallen away from God, we have gone back to the darkened thinking that caused us to sin. What leads us back? Isn't it God's kindness that leads us to repentance? We receive His grace that we don't deserve, and then we turn the corner. We do a 180. We go, okay, I think I can try this again. I think I can recommit my life to following Jesus. 
There's a strange thing that happens when you accept God's grace, repent. I think my old friend Clive said it best. Next slide. Grace substitutes a full, childlike, and delighted acceptance of our need. A joy in total dependence. We become jolly beggars. The good man is sorry for the sins which have increased his need. He is not entirely sorry for the fresh need of God they have produced. I don't know if you guys are like me. But when I finally repent of a sin, all of a sudden I feel so close to Jesus. It's like he's right there. He felt far, far away before. And I finally get it through my thick skull that I was doing it wrong. And I say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do it right. And God is so close. It feels so good. I almost want to keep on sinning. That's what Romans 6 is all about, folks. If you want to take a look at it. It is ridiculous what Jesus does for us sinners. You mean, if I run away from God, if I become the prodigal son, do you mean he's going to throw me a party? Yes, that's what I mean. But it's so much better to live the new life with Jesus. I'm going to end with a Story, true story. I don't know how many people have read uh, Tattoos on the Heart by Father Greg Boyle. But since 1986, Father Greg Boyle, or G-Dog, as he's known in the neighborhood, has been engaging the gangs of East Los Angeles with the gospel. Every day he wades into the danger zone with young men and young women who've got really long arrest records and prison records. He shares the good news of Jesus with them, calls them to break with the wicked life they have known and to trust Jesus for salvation. The message is simple, and it's real. You can either have a future, or you can have a funeral. You can either have a future, or you can have a funeral. Jesus will forgive you your sins, wash your past clean in the eyes of God, give you a hope, and give you a future. To date, this ministry has seen thousands of people leave the pseudo-family of gang membership for the real family of God by faith in Christ. They were doing it wrong. They decided to do it right. And it's not because Boyle has watered down the gospel. In fact, he makes a plain that Jesus is calling them to radically break all the destructive patterns, the sin-inducing ties of their former life. More than 1,500 ex-gang members have trusted Christ and have taken steps in a new direction with the guidance and help of Father Greg. They have to, have to get to learn a new language. Buy new clothes. Because you can't wear the same old gang clothes. The gang clothes. And they've got to learn how to make an honest day's wage. Father Greg told them the gang tattoos had to go as well. 
Gang tattoos link them to a past that no longer defines who they are and can put them in serious danger when they're just walking down the street. So, Father Greg Boyle created a free service using local doctors to remove the tattoos, thereby scrubbing their bodies of the last remaining marks of their rebel past. It's not an easy procedure to get a tattoo removed. Many of these street-tough gang members say it feels like hot grease is being poured over their skin. Yet the list for getting gang tattoos removed grows longer every day. Every name on that list represents somebody who was tired of doing it wrong and by God's help said, help me do it right. They are being made new in the attitude of their minds. They are putting on the new self in Christ Jesus. They're doing it right, and they're loving it. I don't know where you are today. I don't know your spiritual story. But um, if you would like to find new life in Christ, if you would like to stop doing it wrong and ask God to help you do it right, you can talk to any of us here that you see who you know are already Christians. During the communion, there will be some folks back there in the prayer room to pray with you if there's anything about your past or present that needs to be lifted up before the throne of grace. You could signify your desire to follow Jesus by taking communion maybe for the first time. By participating. Because Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you, he said of the bread. And of the cup, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant given for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in memory of me. And you could. You could follow Jesus by doing that. And then go pray. Help me end with the prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you because we have no place to go. You are the only one who has eternal life. And it's to you we run. Ah, oh, we're tired of doing it wrong, Jesus. In you, help us do it right. It's in your name we pray. Amen.